Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of the Pearls of Wellness, brought to you by the Center for African American Health. I'm your host, Deidre Johnson, and I am so excited to share our inaugural season with you. So I'm the CEO and Executive Director of the Center for African American Health. Our mission is to empower the Black community to make informed health decisions that benefit the whole person through education, collaboration, and advocacy. We believe that everyone should have the opportunity to be healthy, no matter where they live, work, play, or worship. You know, there are a lot of diseases out there, a lot of forms of death that take us. Whether we look at maternal and infant mortality, asthma, cancer, heart disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, you name the health issue, and we are likely three to four times more at risk to have the disease and to die from it. We also know that the generational health disparities and excess death faced by our community are the byproducts of systemic racism. Pearls of Wellness is a podcast dedicated to exploring the health and well-being of the Black community. In the first seven episodes that make up season one, we're taking a holistic approach and speaking with community experts about health as well as the social needs that affect our health, also known as the social determinants of health. Our goal is to discuss new possibilities and share resources and solutions on how we all can take steps to be healthy in mind, body, and spirit. Today, I'm looking forward to sharing with you my discussion with Sandra Young, the president of the NAACP Denver chapter. Sandra and I discussed what we believe Black health is and the various social determinants of health. Thank you for tuning in, and I really hope you enjoy our discussion. So now I'd like to welcome my good friend and sister in changemaking, Sandra Young, president of the NAACP Denver chapter. Sandra, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, sister friend. It's been a pleasure getting to know you and doing this work with you. So excited to be here. You know, I think I, we first got to know each other when I took this position. We've been in a couple leadership groups together. And one thing that's always impressed me is your depth of knowledge in just a variety of subjects. And that to me made you the first person I thought of when we wanted to talk to somebody about the social determinants of health. Well, thank you. I read a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so um, when you think about the social determinants and how the work that the NAACP does really touches on those various determinants, I just wanted you to talk about some things that come to mind. Um, what I can share with our listeners is the social determinants are those things outside of the health system that really influence how healthy we can be. You know, whether or not you can get access to a doctor or medical care, that's only about 10 to 20% of how healthy you are. But, you know, do you have a home? Do you have a job? Do you have access to food? Can you get physical activity? All these other things are really the things that impact how healthy we can truly be. So when I, when I think of this health disparities in our community, I think of housing, like you've mentioned before, Deidre, 
access to uh, healthy, healthy eating, healthy foods, transportation to get those foods. Um, we all live in a food desert, looking at those things, looking at even right now, how we have a lack of access for formula for young people. We don't even have that. And we know all those things impact how we live, mental health, guns in our community, homicides in our community, all impact how our health goes and how our health is viewed. And so it is up to us to take reins in that and to move to move the needle and how we are looked at and how we deal with these health disparities. So let's talk about kind of the state of some things that people just kind of may not know. You know, you mentioned education. What are some things happening right now in our community that we should be alarmed about when it comes to how our children are educated? Our four grade reading, four grade levels behind. And we know that that's how they set up prison systems. In the third grade, that's when they start counting beds. When our kids can't read, their bed is counted. Because if you can't read, you'll drop out of school. You won't work. You, you, you don't have the ability to work. You don't have the ability to, to provide. So what we need to do is always be looking for ways to tutor our kids and to evolve our kids like other, other groups of people do. They ensure that their kids are going to schools that are meeting the needs. And we know, most of all, we need parents to step up and parents to be involved in this process to make sure that their kids are reading and talking to the teachers and making sure that the teachers understand. Um, once we started no, no Child Left Behind, it really impacted our communities of color because they can't fail the kids now. They go on and on and on and they can't read. About two years ago, the NAACP started doing a reading boot camp. And I was amazed to see that out of 30 kids, probably 25 of those were um, African-American boys. In those African-American boys, I would say about five of them were over age of 10 and could not read at all. One of them could not even write his name at 10 years old, and they've been skating him through school. These are things that we have to stop. We need to start looking for African-Americans to start going into education. And even when we did a, a study, kids were saying they wanted to see people that looked like them in the school system, that encouraged them, that made them just by seeing them said, you can be you can be the best that you can be. And so we need to start looking at those kind of career choices, educational choices, uh, technology choices and STEM, teaching our kids how to do STEM because STEM is everything. And we haven't really taken the time to even talk about how STEM really impacts our lives. STEM is more than just knowing to be on a computer, STEM is being able to be a doctor. STEM is able to sell insurance. STEM makes you be able to be an artist. If you want to be a rapper, you, you go to the, to the studio, that's all STEM. Encouraging our kids to go into engineering, those kind of things that have built the building blocks of African-American communities in the past. We need to start looking at those, those careers again and start pushing kids towards that in education. Well, it ties right into being able to either be an entrepreneur or access a skilled job so you truly can live as healthy as possible. We are, we've known for years that we can actually drill down and measure life expectancy by the um, zip code. And I guess that's what's really been my challenge. We know all these things, but there's so little being done. So I appreciate you offering, you know, at least in the education piece, how we can be more active um, and make sure that we're ensuring all of our kids are, if not, at grade level, at third grade, above, because the yeah. system is not going to do it for us. They're not. You know, we have to have the attitude of whatever it takes 
to make our kids be successful. We, we have to be thinking that way. Um, earlier, you mentioned food deserts, and it's interesting. I was at a conference a couple years ago that the Sesame Street folks had put on, and I'll never forget a professor at University of Chicago um, cautioned me against using food desert, and I asked her why, and she goes, it's really food apartheid. Because when you say desert, yeah. that makes it seem like it's like naturally occurring, but none of this is natural. This is how things have been built deliberately. Yeah, exactly. I, I totally agree with that. People, people have told me that too, and I keep forgetting, but I'm back now. Uh, you're right. It's, it's These are intentional, how they set us up with food. It's intentional, even the food that they sell in the stores that are near our communities. Those are all intentionals to bring little stores that, that overprice us in our communities. When you go to a community and there's only a 7-Eleven across the street or a come and go, and the pricing of a, a, a thing of milk, a gallon of milk is $6 because you can't get anywhere else. So you've used all your capital and that buying these little odds and ends because you don't have transportation to go to Safeway or Walmart or, or, or King Supers to shop. And that's all intentional. That That is not unintentional what they're doing to people of color. Have you seen or known of any efforts to really try to correct that in community? What I'm always told, um, Green Valley Ranch has gotten now, I live in Green Valley, we have gotten a natural grocers and a Sprouts. Uh, thank you, Mayor Hancock. But what I'm usually told when we talk about that is they just don't want to come. And, and what they count is the rooftops and the money that they can get from those rooftops, because that, that's what makes a difference. If I can come to an area that has the minimal income of, of 60 or 80,000, you're more likely to come to my store. Because we see in neighborhoods where they have higher incomes, they have no problem. Where gentrification has come, we can see those neighborhoods changing and getting stores now. That, that areas that have not had a store before, so they base those on rooftops and rooftop income. And so we have got to push against that again with our Congress, our, our city council people. When we see something that's not right and we see that we are not having access to healthy eating, then we need to start going to our city council and demanding that they demand stores bring proper nutrition to our communities and even to our schools. Well, because we're when we're in places that are Without that, we're paying too much anyway. So it's a really, mm -hmm. it's almost a flawed logic to say, yeah. well, I can't go there because I won't make as much money when you'd actually make similar money and they'd be having healthier options. Yeah. It's, you know, we, we try to support, we want to support small business, but we need small businesses to be able to support us, right? And not mm -hmm. take all the money that we have. When we have the EPT card and you have $300 and you have a small corner store to go to, that $300 equals nothing. Because we know when you, because we know when you go to King Supers now, $100 is no nothing. You, you got three bags now. Food is so expensive. So we have to look at ways to start growing food, actually. We want to start teaching our children to, to be growers, teach our children just about healthy snacks, you know, how sugar is really de demolished and hurt our bodies having all this sugar. Obesity. We know obesity leads us into such health disparities, uh, dementia, asthma, high blood pressure, uh, 
and, and the list goes on and on just because we're overweight. And so we need to start looking at healthy options, food options, all the way, demanding that even in the schools that our kids are having healthy, healthy lunches, healthy snacks. Like those are those are things that we can demand through voting to get those things done. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the first things I learned when I took over this position was just as important as third grade reading is to academic outcomes, your weight at age five is equally important to those different diseases that you'll likely get. So if you have an overweight five-year-old, they're going to have heart disease, diabetes, you name it. So the sooner we can get folks on a healthier trajectory early in life, the better. Another thing you mentioned was transportation, which I think people really underestimate how how that really affects our community. Can you say a little bit more about that? Um, not having the proper transportation. Some of us right now can't afford cars. When they don't put up transportation in our community, we can't get to stores. If I have five kids and I get on the bus and I take all five kids to the store, that is it's a disaster coming home. And I do want to just give a shout out to Montbello. I think they have a new shuttle that goes and drops you off and picks you up. And we should start looking at some of those for people that need help and don't have the don't have the ability to get transportation at this time. I remember a couple of years ago we had done a study um, with the Colorado Health Institute, and it showed that because of the ACA and Obamacare, a lot of Black people had much more health coverage, but we were still using the emergency room. And when people drilled down to the why, part of it was transportation. Because if I'm mm -hmm. if I'm working nine to five and I can't drive. I'm not gonna be able to get to the doctor. So I'm gonna wait till it gets a little worse and then find my way to the ER if it doesn't. So that, exactly. that one aspect, and I think at the time, someone said that our car ownership was at least half of everyone else's. It may be less, but it definitely wasn't greater than half. Yeah, exactly. And then when we start looking at emissions, you know, as we go into looking at environmental justice and emissions, and when they start saying we're going to make sure that we are, you know, carbon free and, and low emissioned by a certain by a certain time, we need to be asking how would that impact uh, African American communities where the mechanic doesn't know how to fix an electric car or where we can't purchase an electric car. I am definitely a big hope uh, environmental justice, but we do need to look at how that impacts going forward with, with transportation. So say a little bit more, especially for folks who might not have heard the term environmental justice, what that really includes. Environmental justice means that most of our health disparities will come around air quality. Our communities are less likely to have access to healthy drinking water. We know there's lead um, infested waters that some politicians feel it's okay for black people to be drinking. And, and as we as we even talk about that, even even the health, the uh, the, the areas that we live in, and when we have all these plants that produce toxins, we need to be talking about those plants that are producing toxins for our kids to breathe. Our rates of asthma have gone up tremendously uh, when we have people that are, are even growing cannabis in our neighborhoods. Even when we have plants that are growing cannabis and, and having emissions from that, healthy, unhealthy toxins coming to our communities, mm. all that impacts our children. Any healthy uh, toxins that come into our community impact our, our breathing. And our asthma cases in young black kids have gone up 
over the years. And this could be due to a number of things, but we do know that it's environmentally where we're at. So have there been some things that you've personally worked on recently to help kind of promote environmental justice? Well, we've been working with, I don't know the bill numbers and I feel really bad about that, um, but we've been working on bills to, to get carbon um, emissions down by 2050. And so um, Excel Energy is committed to that. And we know that they handle most of the energy in, in, in Colorado. They're committed to casting down coal mining plants and going to electrical plants instead of having the coal, which have been impacting um, people of color's breathing for years. We've been working on uh, school bus emissions. They just spent over, I wanna say like 175 million they have in budget to do school buses. They will have different emissions, electric school buses. They have to work on to get uh, stops where you can plug up at, but electric emissions are going up. We're even looking at people, looking at bikes for kids in the summer, even if they're electrical bikes, having people get those for transportation. So we worked uh, very closely this year with some of the legislators on environmental justice. And, and quite of the bills got passed. I just don't, unfortunately, know the numbers to all the SBs because there's so many in my mind. But those are some of the, we did pass some of those bills this year. Um, our legislators did pass quite a few bills in, um, in environmental justice this year. And just with NAACP, we are, we have an environmental justice arm. So some of the things that we do are, do, we do grow gardens. We do find places where we can teach kids to, to be growers, you know, to, to work in gardens and, and to harvest and to be able to take those foods home at the end of that session to your family. So we began that, that kind of training too in our environmental justice department. Oh, that's wonderful. I actually didn't know that. But I just tried to take us everywhere. <laughs> but, and that's part of the, part of the variety and opportunity and sadness is that there's so much need in every topic. Yeah, very sad. You know, one of the things we've talked about in the past, especially when it comes to our elders, is the dementia rate. My father struggled with it before he passed, and that, that was in 2014. And we also know that during COVID, because of isolation, the rate sped up and increased. And so mm. even as a community, we're going to have the highest numbers when it comes to certain diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. What are your thoughts with regard to anything we can do in that area? Well, you know, I have a, a personal uh, connection to dementia. My father died in November from that. My aunt um, has it right now, one of my uncles. And so one of the things that you mentioned is, you know, during COVID, they were so isolated. And so now we have to start doing things that really utilize our mind. They said crossword puzzles work. Like really, really making our mind have to be working all the time, especially as women coming out of being in menopause or going into menopause, really being intentional on working out every day, get eating healthy, uh, reading books, keeping our minds really alert, because all of that makes an impact on how dementia really affects us. Well, even that, that whole social connection part, because that too is a, a social determinant of health. And we mm -hmm. are a community and especially in Denver it's harder to do because there are fewer of us yeah. but we benefit so much from collaboration and gathering together. I think that really impacted our kids right for mm -hmm. them not to be able to, to be outside with their friends and, and not be able to 
swap stories, the things that kids do, the, the things that we grew up doing, right? Talking to each other, going to the house, having the, having the camaraderie and not having that during COVID and being stuck in a house. It was hard for kids. It's hard for kids to make that rebound. And so we see kids even suffering trauma through that because people are made to be with one another. You know, another area of concern, especially living in Denver, I think we're we're starting to rise to the top when it comes to housing being just completely unaffordable. And the history of redlining, even in the 70s, my father broke a covenant and we integrated a place um, mm. that nobody wants us to be. What's, what's, what's going on these days when it comes to the Black community and even our access to housing? Well, I think when we think about affordable housing, which we, we keep using that word, so throwing that word around, what is affordable? What, and affordable to who, right? Mm-hmm. When something is uh, $700,000, that's not affordable housing. And if we only have 20% of affordable housing and you have 80% of people not living in houses, and that still does not equate. We have a lot of kids that are have are, that are now necessary is necessary for their parents to live in apartments, which do not have playgrounds because they're so full of ha- apartments because the housing sector is so bad here. Those kids need outside time, and and like I said, we still just cannot afford this. We're still doing a lot of apartment living, and our numbers for unhoused is going up just because of that we just can't afford places to to live and then when we live we have predatory people coming in getting our places predatory people always trying to scam our seniors out of their homes predatory people telling us that h with hoas getting us out of our homes i think all of those are things that we need to be have our antennas up and be looking at as we continue in this fight for justice let's talk about and you know so much has been in the news we just had the most recent school shooting in texas in addition to school shootings, we recently had someone literally hunting our elders in Buffalo. What are your thoughts and what is the NAACP approach when it comes to just this madness with gun violence? We've been asking for common sense law, common sense gun laws for a while now. We know, first of all, that we never had gun laws uh, until the Black Panthers. Mm-hmm. That's to tell the truth on that, right? It was not until the Black Panthers got guns and said, we'll take you down, that we even began to have any gun laws. And so we need to, we need common sense gun laws. We need people to lock their guns up at night. We need to ban assault weapons because there's never a time if you're not in the military that you need an assault weapon. Even if you're hunting, you don't use assault weapons. Those things need to be banned because they don't, there's no, there's no use for them. We just were able to pass a law that you can't bring your firearm within a hundred feet of voting uh, places because people were doing voter intimidations with guns at the voting, at the voting polls. Mm. So we need common sense gun laws to say, lock your gun up at night, know where your kids are. First of all, start checking their backpacks and wherever, because we have these guns that are just popping up and no one knows who's making these guns. We call them ghost guns on the street. We need to know where these ghost guns are coming from. And if you're saying that they're coming from people using a certain scanner, they're telling me, then why aren't we looking at those that company selling those scanners? Like we have to be proactive in this because we're the only country that has mass shootings really. And why is that? 
That's the question to be asked. Why are we the only country having this? It's because you don't want to enforce gun laws. And there has to be gun laws. Not one more life. We, we have got to say that in gun violence, not one more life can be taken from gun violence. And we have to do, and I know that people don't like this, but you have to do universal uh, identification checks to know who's getting these guns. Because we need to have a track of what gun you bought and why. What kind of ammunition you bought and why. Because these people, we keep saying they're just, they're just, it's a mental illness, but they were not mentally ill enough not to have done this and done the research. So when they come with this, we need to be able to come back and say, well, we got to charge them with this. This, this has got to stop, especially the, the banned assault weapons. There's no reason to have assault weapons, no reason at all to have an assault weapon at your house. True, because other than wanting to hunt people, yeah. there's no purpose. You don't even hunt animals with assault weapons. You hunt them with rifles. So why do we have this in our in our communities? That people can purchase an assault weapon? I can purchase 150 rounds. What would you need 150 rounds for? You're not in the military. Why would you need that? You're not in combat. Why would you need that many rounds? And why do we think that that's okay to to have that many rounds for somebody to have that many rounds? That's not that doesn't make any sense. That's so you mentioned um, that. The NAACP has an environmental justice arm. What are some of the other areas that you all focus on? Um, we focus on education. We also have a boot camp coming up this summer, July 11th through the 18th, for ages 5 through 11, first to, to fifth grade. We do a boot camp every year to get our kids somewhat back on, on track. So we have master readers that come that are Black from DPS schools and we do that work. After that, we also have a chess club. This is all with the education. We have a chess camp and we know that chess makes you think, right? Mm -hmm. And so we really need chess because chess is strategic. It's not like checkers, you just hop over people. When you play chess, you're a strategic and we need kids to be strategic thinkers. And so we have a chess camp coming right after the, right after the reading camp. And then after that we have STEM. And as I mentioned before, STEM is more and just engineer STEM is life. And in that STEM, we teach math because you need to know reading, writing, and arithmetic. You need to know how to add. Even if you work at McDonald's and the, and the computer goes down, you should know how to add the people, get the people back to change. So we have a, we have that camp and we, we do that. We're, and also we give away $10,000 worth of scholarships every year. We've already given away 5,000 to kids that are going to HBCUs. We feel that's important for our kids to go with people that look like them and care for them in a different way. So we have a few more scholarships to give away for kids that are not going to HBCUs. Um, so we do that every year in education. And then we have health. Of course, we spoke about that. And some of the things that we're looking at this year, we just did something with sickle cell and um, the Dayton Opportunity Center. We have something coming up with the Deltas on. Um, on um, Alzheimer's. And one of the focuses that we've been looking at this year too are about doulas and midwives. We know doulas really come from Africa. That's an African tradition. So we wanna be talking to doulas and about low birth rate and infant mortality. It's also on the list uh, for health and always mental health is always a concern of ours. We also have political action because we fight, the, the NAACP was really based on that. We have been the only black organization that has ever written policy. 
And so we, we can look at that. And so we know that there's going to be many policy rollbacks this year. We know that Brown versus uh, Roe versus Wade is, is looking to be rolled back no matter what they say. There's going to be several things that are going to be rolled back. And we have to stand in front of that. And we have to stand with our politicians to make sure that they're doing what we need them to do and not what they want to do. We can speak for ourselves. And we need to make sure that they are carrying out the desires that we want and need for our communities. We also have economic justice. And economic justice is just making sure that we're working, that we're trained to work. We have some programs coming out this year. Last year, we, we, we trained people to be uh, flaggers and got those OSHA 10 um, certifications. This year, right now, I, I can say for the summer, we have kids that can work for RTD for $18 an hour if they want to do that. We also have uh, some kids that they're trying to train to do nursing assistance. Like there's several opportunities and we want to teach people how to get their money correct and get your credit right. So when opportunities do come, you can fall into those positions. If your credit is, is low, you can't fall into positions to buy homes. You have to have your credit up some kind of way. So we have to figure out and teach our communities how to save, how to do their money correct, how to make a budget and stick to that budget. Uh, we also have what we call legal redress. And legal redress just comes and we do a lot of help with inmates. Not helping, but because we're not attorneys, but giving uh, direction. Like, you know, you may want to look at this. You may want to look at that. Uh, what else is going on? Oh, we need to take this to the police. We need to talk about this. Oh, you were treated like that. We do a lot of re legal redress. Um, and then, of course, we do youth. We are the first chapter in Colorado, Montana, and, and Wyoming to have a college chapter. We will start our college chapter this year on, on the Raria campus. We're also looking at our youth component, making sure that kids understand how social justice works for them. We were fortunate this year to be able to bring about 50 kids to the Capitol. They came and they brought their youth and we actually stood on the steps of the Capitol and was able to even sit in the galley and see how bills are made, meet the legislators, speak against the bill that was being passed. And so, so those are some of the things that we want our kids to understand, to understand what a veto is when something's vetoed, to understand when they say that somebody's being impeached, when someone's being impeached, what does that mean? How does that happen? So, so those are some of the things that we are looking forward to our kids. And then, of course, we have environmental justice. I'm trying to think, oh, did I, did I? Oh, we have Veterans Affairs also. We try to help veterans in our community. During COVID, we were taking them all food baskets every day, making sure that they ate, making sure that they understand that they can get glasses. Some of them are eligible to get dentures making sure that they know what they can get as a veteran, because sometimes they just don't know. And so we've been doing some of that work also with veterans. So how big is your team right now? My, my board is about uh, 15 people, 15 to 60 people. We're not really a board. We call ourselves executive committees. However, we were able, we're almost at a thousand people for membership and we need more every day. Please join us and grow. It's only $30 a year, less than a cup of coffee for two days if you go to Starbucks. <laughs> uh, and I do. Uh, it's, it's, we just need, you know, there's power in numbers. If right. I have 200 people making a call to somebody's office, that, that makes a change. And so we need people to join. So when, they, when we call, we have the numbers that say, you better be listening to us because this could be a problem for your business. You know, just like we came together against the the Juneteenth ice cream at Walmart, we need to oh, come my together. Goodness. Yeah. Have you seen one about Vaseline? They have one going around now. So we, we got to be able to come against those kind of things as community. 
this black community and said, no, no, we're not going to do that. Well, I'm a proud member. And um, thank you. So because you, you listed a lot of different types of really important work and projects that don't happen overnight. You've got to really have expertise and people on the ground. And I'm just, um, I'm really impressed that you guys were able to span so much. Is that kind of you plus membership plus executive committee? Yes, it's my executive team. I, I must say they are great. I am a person that comes up with stuff every morning. I lie to you not. I got, I'll, I'll wake up. I have this thing I call the, the bath ministry. My friends laugh at me, but I take a bath every day and I get so much insight. So when I get out the tub, I'm like, hey, let's go beat the homeless. Let's start Let's start this homeless thing. Let's start a youth choir. They're like, all this. And so I think the community just kind of goes with me. Some of the people join in and we may, sometimes we have large numbers, sometimes we don't, but we would like for people to show up because that's how we do the programming. And so it, it's always good if we can get people to show up and help with, the, with all the stuff that we're doing because we're not doing anything that doesn't help community because I'm just here for this moment. But the work that we do have has to live on. So that's a good example about how taking a moment for self-care can really help you use those creative energies to kind of inform the work. What drives you? What really, why do you do this work? I do this work because when I was younger, my brother died at four. And he died because we had no access to a hospital where I'm from, at Crothersville. And um, so at that time, my mother decided to go to school and become the first black nurse in our, in our region. And so it, it, it's that work that drives me when I see kids that don't have access. And I, God bless that I've had to, I've had the pleasure of living a really good life, right? My parents were both professionals. And so we lived a different life than a lot of the friends that I had when I moved to Denver uh, that didn't have that. And they, it wasn't because their parents didn't want that. They just didn't know how to obtain that. And so when I look at life now, I know that it's got to be greater than me. I have to do what's greater than me because God's going to take care of me. But some people just don't have what I have. You know, they don't have mentally what I have, not not physically, but just mentally to understand that you can do it. They've had nobody tell them that they can. They had nobody show them that they can. They had nobody inform them that they can. And so I always have felt like we all should feel that we have such a big part in this movement for our for our community, for our for our legacy. You know, living well is part of our legacy. And it's up to us to be able to show people that they can live a better life than what they have. And so that drives me every day. It's definitely not the money because this is volunteer. And it's a lot of work to be a volunteer to do this type of work. But the legacy that we want to leave kids, I have two young millennials. Well, one, he's, he's younger than a millennial. But it's up to them, like I tell them, to change the world. And if I don't set a standard for them to see how change looks, then they won't know how to make change. And so that's what drives me every day, knowing that these kids that are coming out are so bright. These are some smart kids. And if we could just gear their energy and steer their energy in the right way, we can make a movement that's going to be lasting forever. And so that's kind of the reason that I do what I do. That's wonderful. And it also speaks to so much that is happening in this world are systems doing this. And the con that's per perpetrated on us is that it's our fault versus, yeah. no, this system is doing it. And I think the more we can get young people to understand, it's not you, it's the system and how you change the system 
we really will get to that enduring change. And you've talked a lot about um, legislation and really trying to change certain policies and rules. So from your view, especially as a leader of the NAACP, what is the best solution in addressing any of these determinants? The best solution is, is policy. And the, and the only way that you can ch make change is through policy. Like I said, the NAACP, that's the reason that I really joined them is because I really looked at who had the power to make change. And they had been doing change since 1909. They had been making laws against redlining, against Brown versus the Board of Education, just being in the trenches of the, the Voting Rights Act being there making the change. And so I was like, I need to be a part of the change. And we do that by voting, becoming voters outside of just the presidential, voting all the time, and then holding our legislatures accountable. We vote you in, you work for us, and we can vote you out. And we will make your life miserable if you sit in there and do not do what we ask you to do. We will write you, we will call you, we will stand in front of your office. We will do all of that if you do not do that we ask you to do that benefits our communities. And we have got to take that in our mind. They work for us through our tax dollars. They are not at liberty to do what they want to do. But you can't holler if you don't vote. If you're not in the game, you can't holler at the umpire because you wasn't even playing the game. You have to be in the game. And so I'm always big on people registering the vote because like I said, people have died for this and people died because of this. We can see the John Lewis law being trying to be rolled back. We shouldn't even be here talking about this, about people voting again. We paid the price. What's the problem? Because they are afraid that if you vote, you can make change. We have to do it. We have, we have to vote. We have to make the change and hold them accountable till they make the change. If Biden said that there was going to be a relief on student loans, we should be writing him every day till there is a relief on student loans. Because I need some relief for my student. I owe these people $118,000. And that can't be right. I can't even live my life. $118,000? That's a lot of money. Like, I need some relief. Even if it's $50,000, I'll take it. Won't you take it? Oh, I'm cool. just saying. Like, we got we to gotta hold them. If they say this, when they get in the office that they're going to do for us, then you need to do what you said you were going to do for us. And we cannot let up on you, offer you until that is done. I kind of sound like I got upset about that one, huh? <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> I know one of the things we chatted about in the past was kind of voting habits and how sometimes, you know, people focus on those big elections when, you know, our life and our health and everything is local. And those mm -hmm. are the really, really important ones. Can you speak a little about that? It is important that we are voting in all elections. We just look at the big elections and um, presidency, but we have to vote for the right governors, the right council people, the right mayor, the right city council, and those are municipal votes. The right people on the school board, because those are the people that run your life on a day-to-day -day basis. And so if we're not impacting those people, to, to do what we want them to do. That's that's when the trouble begins. Because no matter how big we vote, if we don't vote small, as we think, uh, if we don't make sure that we have the right person sitting at the table for city council, our communities start going down because they run our, they run our communities, right? 
And so we have to look at that. Well, who, who we're putting in there and what, what are their values? Do their values align with yours? I'm not, I'm an independent voter and I'm not telling anybody else to be that, but I just need your values to always align with my values. What's important to me, regardless of Republican or Democrat, Mm -hmm. I need you <laughs> to be able to align with what, what's important to me. If if school funding is important to me and you don't align with school fund funding, I'm not voting for you. If public schools are important to me and you are not aligning with that, I'm not voting for you. If If housing is important to communities of color and that's not important to you and health disparities are not important to you, I don't care what you are, I am not voting for you. And we have got to start saying we're voting for the cause and not the person. Mm -hmm. Because that is the cause that impacts our community, not the people. Because people come and people go. And if we don't set the right stuff in motion, we it, it is, it's a problem. That's so important. And it's interesting because, you know, an election comes and, you know, folks will say anything. What's mm -hmm. the best way to understand if this candidate asking for your vote is truly representing who they say they are? I say research. When you research somebody, because we get caught up in what we see and mm -hmm. we don't want to take out the time to research that. You have to research people. I research voting records too. We've seen in the last uh, election in Colorado, and I won't name any names, but a certain person was running and hadn't voted in three elections. Why would I give you my vote and you don't even vote? That means you really wasn't concerned until it was your turn to be on stage. Mm -hmm. And and we have to look at their records, the things that they have done. This Facebook opens up all kinds of doors for us, don't it? Because you it's, can see what kind of pictures really they post. Doesn't it? it? It just opens the door. Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, Snapchat, Snapchat, not so much because it falls off, but you can see people's activities. Oh, this is what you do. Are you party every night, but you want to run the city? I don't think so. Like, you know what I'm saying? You're on here. Get, I, I feel like this Facebook has opened up all kinds of avenues for you to see how people really work. I have a degree in industrial psychology, and that's one of the things that they always tell us to look at. Is that not Facebook, but 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 previous actions, what you've done in the past, who you are, because as we know, it's often stripes don't change. Not saying that people can't change. But the things you do is who you really are. And when you do a personality a personality test on somebody, they usually reveal to you who they are by what they've done in the past. It's an integrity test. If you do that, if I've been the last three jobs I left is because I was still in, then I, I still like I may not be the person for this job. You know, mm -hmm. I think we have to just investigate and we have to take out that time, do our due diligence, because people are only going to show you the good part of them. I know I am. I'm not going to show you all the bumps and bruises and and that and that and now that that discounts you because you have bumps and bruises. Let's just make that clear, too, because there's bumps, there's bruises. We understand that you're human, but we want to understand what you have done uh, in this political realm, how you have you lived your life. Like we want to see, like, are you really true to the game? Are you true to like the kids say, are you true to the game? Or are you new to the game? That's all. And if you ain't true, then that's a problem. And so let's say there was a, a local topic and I'm not sure I'm interested in it, but I'm not really sure how to do the research. Could I come to NAACP and kind of get your take on the pros and cons of something? Yes, we actually are creating a, a report card this year 
And so what we're trying to do, we, we're sending this out to, to certain organizations and people on our on our, our membership, things that are important to you. And then we're going to make that card and people that are running for positions, if they don't equal what this card says, we're going to let you know, oh, no, they don't they don't believe in that. They don't believe in this. And if you find something and every year when it's time for this, we do we have candidate forms every year. So you can ask questions to the candidates. We also have community forms all the time that we bring the people in and we have educational forms. So when their ballot comes and you don't understand the ballot, we do we come to one of our educational forums and we go ballot ballot measure by ballot measure by ballot measure to say what this really is saying and what the outcome of this really is. And if this is what you want to do, and this is if this is what you expect it to be, because sometimes it's so much lingo and verbiage on there that you don't even know how to dig through that. And you think you vote much. This is a funny story off topic. My nephew wanted to vote for, for, for mushrooms one year. Oh, he just wanted to vote for mushrooms. He just got out of college. He, he's like, son, this is my first time voting. I'm voting for these mushrooms. So he gets out the block and I said, did you vote for mushrooms? And, you know, you're not really supposed to ask people how they voted or anything. He said, yes, I voted no on something, something, something. No, I voted yes on something, something, something. I said, well, that no, that yes vote is really a no vote. Oh, he was just so upset because he did not know the lingo of what that what that bill meant. Mm -hmm. So he voted against the thing that he had been talking about all the way there. He voted against it. He was very mad about that. So we we provide those those classes in that uh, that time so you can ask the questions about what does this mean, how does this impact me, how does this impact my community. And so we uh, when it's voting time, we will be there doing that as we always do. Oh, wonderful. So Sandra, thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you for having me. Oh, of course. Is there one last thought about Black health that you'd like to share with the family listening? I would like to share that we are people that have always been resilient. And we cannot stop now. We must continue to be resilient in our thoughts. We must remember what Martin Luther King said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So when we see anything that seems unjust, we need to speak on it. We need to be um, very intentional in what we're doing to make the world better. And adding, this not our input, but adding our our hands to work, right? Because work does not get done by talking about it. Work gets done by doing it. Mm -hmm. And so I encourage everyone to be a part of the doing mission this year. Be a part, but do the work. And that's that's my last words today. Well, thank you. So where can our listeners connect with you and the Denver chapter of the NAACP? Well, you can go to our website, NAACPDenver.org. Our Facebook follow us. Please join. Um, please follow us, um, NAACP Denver. I think it's Denver NAACP there. Instagram, Denver NAACP. Twitter, same thing, Denver NAACP. LinkedIn, same thing. So join us on any of those platforms, even on Snap. I don't think anybody on our team really knows what they're doing with Snap, but it's <laughs> up there. <laughs> and, and I think we have a TikTok coming too. Also, we have a YouTube channel. Um, we do a podcast every year. I mean, every um, month, every two weeks, honestly. It's called Policy and Power. And we do that every two weeks on Monday. And so you can look at that on our uh, NAACP YouTube page. Oh, wonderful. And I just, you know, I want to 
I want to thank you, sis, for being such a wonderful friend and colleague. And mm -hmm. thank you for the way you just stand in the gap for so many community members on, on the daily basis. Oh, well, thank you, Deidre. It's such a pleasure. I feel so honored to have met Deidre. Like you just bring me joy. Every time I see you, you <laughs> bring me joy. And when she gets up to speak, she makes you have to listen because she's so knowledgeable. I mean, to have, I, I feel like we, she's a, a jewel, a gem to this community. The work that you do at the Center for African-American Health, even purchasing that building, bringing that to our community, the accessibility that we have now to a building to do work. I just want to applaud you for that because many have not been able to achieve this. And so you've moved us, you've moved our community into such a, a way that we can only stand and be, be thankful and appreciative for. And so thank you for having me today and thank you for being who you are in this community. Oh, thank you so much, Anne. Speaking of the building, that was the best chess game of my life, but that's another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't checkers huh, at all. No, no checkers there. <laughs> I'm so proud to be here and thank you all for having me. Thank you. We live in a world of systems that were created by the imagination of others. Our opportunity and our responsibility for the next generation is to reimagine what is possible for our community. I'll be ending every episode with an affirmation or thought or one of my favorite poems. For today, I want to share one of my favorite poems by Lucille Clifton. It's called, Won't You Celebrate With Me? Won't you celebrate with me what I have shaped into a kind of life? I had no model. Born in Babylon, both non-white and woman, what did I see to be except myself? I made it up. Here on this bridge between starshine and clay, my one hand holding tight my other hand, come celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. Well, that's our show for today. For the next episode, I'll be doing a deep dive into healthy eating and healthy movement with my special guest, Tyrone Beverly. You don't wanna miss it because it'll be the first part of the Pearls of Wellness two-part lifestyle series. Thank you again for tuning in to the Pearls of Wellness brought to you by the Center for African-American Health. I'm your host, Deidre Johnson. Remember, everything can be transformed so design the you that you want to become. <laughs> <laughs>